Hey, if you have a Bible, open it up to Revelation 3. Am I on here? On Revelation 3. We're going to be in Revelation 3 tonight. So what was he saying? I mean, it's kind of hard to hear him. He's got, he talk like a ninja with his Asian accent. Yes, sir. He, he's saying this to Daniel. He's like, look, Daniel. That's the kid's name if you didn't know his name's Daniel. I, I had to Google it because I'd forgotten it. It's from the Karate Kid if you haven't seen it. He's saying, he's saying look, Daniel. Walk on the right side of the road, you're safe. Walk on the left side of the road, you're safe. Walk in the middle, and what? Squish, squish like squish like a grip. Is that it? Squish like a grip. Yeah. And he said the same thing is true for karate. Either you do karate, or you don't do karate. You can't do karate and do other things you got to do karate or don't do karate. Don't try to be in the middle and be on the fence about doing karate. He's saying, look, if you want to excel in karate, do karate. Stick with that. Put your heart and soul into that. Don't put a little bit into that and a little bit over here into this because they're both going to falter and they're both going to fail. He's saying, don't be on the fence about it. Don't be on the fence. And here's the thing. Would you believe me if I told you that Mr. Miyagi might have a little bit of wisdom for us tonight? About being on the fence. About being on the fence. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for each student here. God, Lord, I pray that uh, you open every student's heart and every person in this room's spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to what it is you have to say, God. Lord, just speak through me, God, and let me just get out of the way so you can get what you have to say off of me. Amen. All right, so tonight we're going to be in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, if you didn't hear me. <clears throat> Real quick recap of Revelation. Revelation is a vision that Jesus gave the apostle John when he was on the island of Patmos. He was, he was enslaved there. He was in prison there. And this vision showed John everything that was going to happen at the end of time, how the world was going to go down, when Jesus wins the final victory and defeats Satan, what that's going to look like. That's Revelation. But at the beginning, at the beginning of the book, he says, I have some messages for the churches in the area. Now, at that time, the Christian church was not as populous and not as growing as we are now. It was not as big. I mean, we're worldwide on all seven continents now. But at that time, it was in one little restricted area. So there were a, a group of cities that had main churches. So it'd be like if Jesus was like, Jesus comes up to me and he's like, all right, Chris, I want to give you this vision. But first I want, I have a message for the church in New York City. I got a message for the church in Chattanooga. I got a message for the church out in LA. It's like that. A lot of churches. So we go run down to these churches and to the church in Ephesus, he goes, you guys are doing a good job, but you've lost all your love. You're not loving people like I love them. You know, you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you're doing these things that are right, but you've lost your love, guys. To the church in Smyrna, the church in Smyrna had gone over a ton, gone through a ton of persecution. And he's like, hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. This is only going to last for a season. So he's telling them, you know, persevere through these trials. The church in Pergamum, he tells them, look, stop compromising. You guys are trying to live all these different things. Stop compromising. I told you one way to live. Live that way. Stop compromising. 
The church in Thyatira, that's a fun word to say. Say Thyatira. <laughs> that's a fun word to say. Thyatira had become corrupt with paganism. So they had a church and they were worshiping Jesus and God, but then they'd be worshiping these like fake idols too. He's like, what are you guys doing? I'm Jesus. I am your Lord and Savior. You are to worship me. These pagan gods are wood and they're stone. They're, they're not real. They can't do anything exactly. He's saying, get away from those. Worship me. The church in Sardis, I love what he says to the church in Sardis. To the church in Sardis, he says, I know your works, and on the outside, you look like you're alive, but I know you're inside, and on the inside, you're spiritually dead. He's saying, you guys front like you're good believers, but I know what's going on really in your hearts. I know what's going on. To the church in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, hey, do we have a city called that? Yeah, we do, in Pennsylvania. Church in Philadelphia, he says, keep on being faithful. You guys are fighting the fight. Keep it up. And finally, finally we get to the church that we're going to talk about tonight. And that's the church in Laodicea. And I, that's a fun word too, Laodicea. And I think, I think Jesus saved this church for last because this is an issue that every church has dealt with throughout time and that we're still dealing with today. So let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to be in chapter uh, 3, verse 14, starting in verse 14, okay? So let's start looking in verse 14, all right? Verse 14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So clarifying, this is Jesus talking to them. Jesus is calling them out, speaking to them directly. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Gross. That's right. So, okay, what's he talking about? A lukewarm. What, is that like? what does that mean? So to understand what that means, we need to realize how the people of Laodicea would have seen this. And to realize that, let's look. If we have, do we have the map of Laodicea? Okay. We have a map of where Laodicea is located, okay? To the north, there's a city called Heropolis. Now, Heropolis was known for its natural hot springs. Like, they had natural hot, do- hot, hot dogs, hot tubs, just chilling in their city. You could go and get in this hot tub. It's like 95 degrees Fahrenheit and just hang out and chill out with your bros, okay? So that's north. So when the water from there would drain down, it would go into this river right here, the River Lycus. Now, to the south, we have this city called Colossae. Now, Colossae, they had really, 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 really cold springs. How many of you guys have ever been to a natural spring, like in the mountains? Like, you know how cold it is? It's like freezing cold water. That's where they were getting their water from. So you have really, really, really hot, really, 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 really cold. And these waters meet in the middle at the River Lycus. And when they meet, it's this hot, 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 and this cold, cold, cold meeting and it makes this, like, nasty, like, lukewarm, room-temperature water. And the thing also that it did is it created this chemical substance as a calcium carbonate substance that when you would actually drink it, if you didn't purify it, it would make you throw up because it tasted so bad. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, you know how there's water that you guys drink and it makes you throw up because it's not hot or cold? That's how you are being. That's what he's saying to this church. He's saying, you guys aren't being hot 
You guys aren't being passionate about following me. Sometimes you are. You know, you, have, you put this front on sometimes that you're a Christian and you're a believer, but then other times all the way over here, you're doing things that are totally against everything that I taught and told you to do. But you're trying, like, you're trying to hold on to both lives and you're stuck in the middle. And he says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You disgust him. Jesus is saying, I'm disgusted in how you guys are acting. How many people went to New York with us? We have any New Yorkians? New Yorks. Okay. Calling out Jay Gibson on this one. So I spent a couple uh, nights in free time hanging out with Jay Gibson. Okay. And I know I did too, Asa, but you don't want to be in this story. Trust me. So we're, every night, every night, I'm sure every group dealt with this, this. This was the question every night. So where do you guys want to go eat? Where do you guys want to eat dinner? Every night. And, and, and the, every night the response is this. I don't know. Are you, I mean, are you hungry? Are you, I mean, are you hungry? You want to eat? I'm kind of, I mean, kind of, I'm a little hungry. All right, well, I mean, do you want, like, do you want to go get, like, barbecue, or you want to, like, get a hot dog stand or some pizza? I mean, it's all, it's whatever. I'll, I'll eat whatever. Just tell me what you want to eat so I can eat some food. I'm starving. <laughs> tell me what you want to eat. That's what Jesus is saying. If you want pizza, tell me you want pizza. If you want barbecue, Tell me you want barbecue. Don't be like, I want a pizza barbecue. This isn't CC's. There's no CC's in New York. You can't get a barbecue pizza. Choose one or the other. And that's what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying, you're not hot or cold. Heck, Jesus is like, I wish you were against me. And you would just fess up to that. But you won't even do that. You won't even do that. Instead, you're stuck in the middle. You live a life for me, for following me, sometimes. And then other times, you live a life totally contradictory to what I taught. Choose one or the other. And my question before we go any further tonight is this. Where are you in this description? Are you on fire for Jesus? Are you following him? Is he the Lord of your life? Are you honoring him daily? Are you totally against Jesus? You don't even want to be here at church. You're just like, I'm just here because my mom made me come here. And that's fine. That's you. Or are you here? You've got a life here at church on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings where you come and you sing the songs and you know the Bible stories because you've been doing it your whole life. Then you leave and at school you're a completely different person. You got Hillsong on your iPod, but you got 2 chains on your iPod too. Jesus is saying this. He's saying this. Choose one or the other. Okay? Choose. And now, what I love about this is that Jesus gives us a way to tell if this is us. He doesn't just accuse them and then that's it. He gives them a reasoning behind it. Let's look at verse 17, okay? Let's look at verse 17. So he just told them, y'all are being lukewarm. You're being lukewarm. And he says, because for for you say, so you're being lukewarm because you say, I'm rich. And I have prospered and need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So he's saying this right here, in this little verse, we see where the curse of lukewarmness comes from, where it stems from. And it stems in this deceptive feeling of we think everything is okay. We think everything is all right. We think we've, we've learned enough, we have enough. There's nothing more for us. 
But see, we forget that our one need in this life, our one need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that Jesus died for us. That is all we need. There's this famous theologian that you guys have probably never even heard of, but I'm a nerd, so I have. His name is James Hamilton. And he said, unless we consciously, explicitly remind ourselves of the absolute purity of God, which will in turn force us to recognize that we are impure, we'll slip into thinking that we're doing pretty well. We must remind ourselves of the gospel and its truths. And if we are not reminded of our constant, ongoing need for the gospel, if we do not continually feel that Jesus is our greatest need, other needs will subtly but surely come to seem more urgent, more significant, and more relevant. See, I think we feel like we've already heard enough. Like We've, been, we've grown up in church and like I said, sang, sang the songs, and I know all the Bible stories. I can quote you scripture. I've done all the admission trips. So you come here on Sunday, and you come here on Wednesday, and it's just hanging out with your friends. There's not anything more for me here. I know this is for like people who don't know Jesus. That, get them up there. Like That's for them. It's not for me. But it is for us. It's for me. It's for even our adults in this room. Because our ongoing need is for the gospel. And that's our one need, one only need. And I'm, not, I'm not telling you guys this because I'm trying to like brush you and like, you're bad. Not doing that. The only reason that I'm telling you this is because this is exactly who I was in high school and middle school. Like when I tell you that I was the prototypical Sunday school kid, I was the prototypical Sunday school kid. I played Jesus in kindergarten. I have a picture at home of me in a little wig and a little white robe riding a little stick. It's supposed to be a donkey, and someone has a palm branch. I'm telling you guys, I knew all the Bible stories. I used to get up in preschool and pre preach in Sunday school. I grew up in church. I could memorize scripture, and I could quote it to you. I led Bible studies. I was like, I was that kid at church. That I thought, oh, he's a good leader. He's a leader in our youth group. He's, he's good. And I, yeah, I was that way at church. But at home, when I was alone, I was looking at things on the internet I didn't need to be looking at. When I was with my friends, I was telling jokes I didn't need to be telling. I was talking bad about people. I was going to parties away from church. I was doing all these things that were so contradictory to what Jesus told me to live in this Bible. My life was spent, me thinking, I know everything. There's not much more for me. This church, that's for people who don't know Jesus yet. Let's get them there. Let's get them saved. And that's the trap that Satan sets for every one of us. He sets this trap for us to think, we're doing okay. We don't need to know anything else. We don't need anything else. But like we, can, like we saw there, our only need is the gospel. Our only need is the gospel. And it took Jesus breaking down my heart, just tearing it open for me to realize how complacent I had become, how lukewarm I was. Jesus got me out of it. Jesus gets you out of this state. You might think, that's like, that's me. That's, I mean, I think I kind of do that sometimes. You might find yourself sometimes feeling complacent. 
And if you don't get anything from this, get this, is that you are not going to fix yourself. You're not going to. It's impossible. But Jesus wants to fix you. See, he doesn't just tell the church, you're doing this wrong and this wrong, and then leaves and doesn't say anything else to them. He tells them what they're doing wrong, and then he gives them a solution to it. All right, let's look in verse 18. In verse 18, all right, he says, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Right here, right here, Jesus gives us three things. Three things, three solutions and what he wants to do, not what you're gonna do, not what someone around you is going to do to fix you, what he is going to do to fix you, what he's going to do. The first thing is this. The first thing is this. He says, buy gold from me. See, the people in Laodicea were rich. I mean, I'm talking stacks on stacks on stacks rich. They didn't need anything. They had the gold. They had the jewels. They had everything. They had the nice clothes. And Jesus is saying, hey, I know what you're finding happiness in. I know what's making you happy. It's that gold. It's that money that you have. Buy gold from me. Why don't you let me be your source of happiness? You know, these things in this world, they're going to fade. And don't get me wrong. There are things in this world that God created that are meant to be enjoyed by us. But in the end, they are going to fade. Money, popularity, success, all of it is temporal. Boyfriends, girlfriends, guys, I have a beautiful girlfriend and I love her very much. And let me tell you something, she makes me incredibly happy, but she's not my main source of joy and happiness because at any moment she could leave. She's going to let me down at some point, no matter how much she cares about me, I'm going to let her down. So if she's my main source of happiness and satisfaction and joy, I'm going to be disappointed that's at points in my, I'm going to get disappointed because she's going to let me down because she's a human being and that's what's going to happen. But there's one person that is never going to let you down and his name is Jesus. In Luke 18, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to tell you the story. Jesus is uh, walking and he's, he's telling these parables and teaching to people and this, this rich guy, they, it's, he's described in the Bible as a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to, in, to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know what the scriptures say? And he gives him this list of things that the, the Bible says not to do. He goes, yeah, yeah, I've done all those things. Since I was a little kid, I've done all of them. But I, there's more that I have to do, right? Jesus says, yeah, there is. Says, okay, what? He says, unless you can give up everything that you own, give it to the poor, drop everything and follow me, only then will you inherit the kingdom of heaven. Only then will you inherit eternal life. Now, you can look at this story, and it's a great message to people about giving our things to the poor because they're not ours, they're what Jesus gives us. But I think you can dig a little deeper and see that this man, he's described as a rich young ruler. His complete life, everything revolved around his wealth. So for Jesus to say, sell all of that, sell it all and follow me, he's saying, get rid of that thing that makes you the most happy. Be able to be without it and let me be what's enough for you. Let me be your complete joy and complete satisfaction. 
So Jesus wants to give us a new sense of joy to free us from this complacency. Because when he's our one, one thing we find complete joy in, when he's that one thing, then he can start to do wonders in our life. And then we get to the next thing that he can do. Let's keep looking. He says, buy gold for me that's been refined by fire. And he says, so that you may be rich. In white garments, so that you may clothe yourself. Jesus wants us to give us a new wardrobe, not a physical wardrobe. Jesus wants to clothe us with his righteousness. He wants to give us a new life. See, I don't know if you knew this or not, but each and every person in here is a wicked little sinner. Every single person in here. I'm, a, I'm the worst of all of y'all. I'm a sinner. Brian, when he gets up here, he's a sinner. Derek, he's a sinner. We're all sinners. And therefore, because we're all sinners, we are entitled to nothing. Like, like nothing. We deserve hell. That's what we deserve. But Jesus, because he loved us that much, died while we were still sinners to forgive us of our sins. So when Jesus is the Lord of your life, when you've accepted him through faith to follow him, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He doesn't look at me and see Chris Dotson. Because if he did, he'd be repulsed and wouldn't want to look at me. When he looks at me, he sees the perfect, righteous life that Jesus lived. I mean, it says right here, white garments. White is the most pure color of them all. Jesus lived a perfect, pure, sinless life. Therefore, when we have that life given to us, God sees a perfect life in us. He wants to give us a new life. He wants to give us a new sense of joy. That one thing that makes us happy, he wants to change it and make it that he is that one thing that makes us happy. He wants to clothe us in perfect righteousness. Because when he does, guys, it's such a freeing feeling. If you haven't experienced it before, I'm telling you right now, it is the most freeing feeling you can ever experience. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus' life is a substitute for yours. So he wants to give us new joy. He wants to give us new life. And finally, he wants to give us new sight. Look at it. He says, he says, <clears throat> he wants to give us new gold. And look here, I want to give you salve to anoint your eyes. Okay, salve is kind of a real kind of weird word. Just imagine like goo. I would just say goo. Let's put goo there. And goo to anoint your eyes. See, when people were blind, they would rub this eye salve on their eyes. Or when people were, were um, hard of seeing, they would rub this eye salve on their eyes. And it, would, it, would, it wouldn't bring their sight back completely, but it would heighten the senses of their eyes. And that's what Jesus is saying, though. I want to give you new sight. I don't want you to be seeing the world the way you've been seeing the world. Because when you see the world as, from a sinner's point of view, you're going to want to sin. It's just natural. He says, I want to give you the ability to see the world the way I see it. Back, again, back in Luke, after Jesus did this whole encounter with the rich young ruler, he's, um, he's traveling to Jericho. And, he's, and he's, <clears throat> he's on his way there, and there's this, there's this blind guy. He's a beggar. And he's sitting down. Because he's blind. He can't do anything. He's sitting here. He's, he's got his little cup out. He's trying to get some, some stuff. And he hears this commotion. He hears all these people. And he goes, what, what is that? What is that? And the people there are like, it's Jesus, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's, he's coming this way. He's coming to our city. 
And he says, Jesus, and he knows. Jesus, he knows of Jesus. Jesus has been healing people. He's raised people from the dead. He's heard of Jesus. He knows he's the savior of the world. So he's blind. He's calling out and he goes, son of David, have mercy on me. And people there are like, shut up, quiet. Jesus is here. He's going to talk. Quiet. But the guy doesn't give up. He says, son of David, have mercy on me, please. Jesus hears him. Bring that guy to me. Bring that guy to me. So the guy comes up and he's, people are helping him. And Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want from me? What do you want? The dude is blind. What do you think he wants? He's blind. And if you're just reading your Bible, and okay, what do you want from me? Okay, you just skip over that. But I think it's fascinating. And there's so much in that. That Jesus said, what do you want from me? And the guy could have responded with anything. He's, a, he's blind. He's a beggar. He doesn't have friends. His family has probably rejected him. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have money. He could have asked Jesus for a house, for money, for friends, for family, for power, anything. Jesus was there and was going to grant him whatever he asked. And he says, Lord, I just want my sight. He just wanted his sight. He could have asked for anything, but instead he just wanted to see. And how many of us ask for everything we don't really need when all we really need is just to see? See the way that Jesus wants us to see. See through the lens of the Holy Spirit. Because when we do that, guys, when we see life in that way, it changes how we look at everything. We don't just go through life just doing life for the heck of it. We go through life with intentionality, knowing that God is putting people in our life every single day for a reason. We see things the way Jesus sees them. So think, ask yourself right now, how do you look at the world? Because that in turn will affect how you act. Just think to yourself, how do you look at the world? Think, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do when you look at your phone? You pull up Facebook and Twitter? Or you pulling up that Bible app and reading a couple of verses? If you had a chance to do one thing, one thing right now, would you go hang out with your friends? Or would you open up your Bible and spend some time with Jesus? Are you working so hard right now on a relationship with a guy or girl or your friends? Or are you working right now as hard as you can on your relationship with Jesus? Because Jesus wants this. He wants to give you all of these things. Why? Because he loves you. Look, 19. Those whom he loves, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. He's just disciplining you. He's just your daddy. When your parents get mad at you, do they kick you out of the house and tell you never come back again? No. When I was a kid, I got spanked and that hurt really bad. They ground you, they discipline you, but they still love you. And you come back and you're sorry. That's why Jesus is doing this. He's your father. He just loves you and wants you to experience this life the way he meant for you to. To the fullest. He's waiting. He's here right now. He's every day waiting for you. 
Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I'm going to have Matt come on up here. Um, Look. Jesus wants to do this for you. Jesus doesn't want you to live a life in the middle on the fence because he knows it's gonna, you're going to suffer. You do karate or you don't do karate. You can't do both of them. I mean, look what he says here. I think this is, the, this is probably one of the most powerful metaphors that Jesus, ever, I, I, in my opinion, ever uses in the Bible. He sits there and he says, I'm at the door, and I'm knocking. I want to help you. I want to fix you, but you've got to let me in. You've got to let me in, because I want to give you a new sense of joy. I want to give you new sight. I want to give you a new life. but you got to let me in. Because look here, listen, you can't do this on your own. You're going to try to stand up to Satan every day. You're going to fail, and you're going to lose every single time. Because your natural desire is to sin. And that's what the devil's going to throw at you. If you're an alcoholic, and you get put and locked into a bar, and get told, don't take any drinks of any alcohol, you're going to fail because you're addicted to that. We're addicted to sin. So therefore, we're going to fail every single time we get put in those situations by ourselves. But with Jesus, with Jesus, we can overcome anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is here. And he's knocking on some of you. You just got to let him in. We're going to bring the lights down for a second. I just want you guys to bow your heads. Just clear your head for a second. And right now, think to yourself, am I hot? Am I on fire for Jesus? Am I in love with Jesus Christ and letting him be the Lord of my life? Am I completely in rebellion against Jesus and I don't want anything to do with him? Or am I in the middle? Can I not make up my mind? Am I stuck living one way at church, putting these church clothes on and trying to look good for everybody and then leaving and being the exact same way the world is? We're going to sing a song. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing one more song. And if Jesus is here and he's knocking on your door, he's knocking on your life, let him in just be completely open to whatever he wants to do in you if you have questions if you want to talk we have adult leaders all over this room but don't leave here leaving the door shut on Jesus Father in heaven God I thank you for this time 
And I thank you for these students, God. I thank you for the opportunity you give me to work with them and to love them and be with them, God. Lord, I thank you for the word you gave to me, God. And I pray that you are here and I know you're here, God. And I pray that no one leaves this room without doing business with you right now. That whatever it is you have to say to them, whatever it is you want to do to them, God, that they just be completely docile and open to that. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are.